and bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Stop the World! I Want to Get Off! I'm a typically English rosebud born of typically English stock with a typically Anglo-Saxon family tree. You can tell, can't you? I received my education in a typically English way at a typically English girls' academy. I went to Brixton Reformatory for boys myself. I play typically English tennis at a typically English club with a typically English feeling for fair play. I eat typically English crumpets with my typically English tea at the end of every typically English day. That's funny. We only have fish and chips. Father is a typically English colonel. Home is a typically English county town. Somewhere near Swindon. Mummy and I play typically English patients while the typically English rain is pouring down. <laughs> Typically English Spaniel who likes typically English walks past the typically English trees upon the heath. And if anyone asks me how I like this typically English life, I am fed up to my typically English teeth. But first, as always, I have to ask, how are we doing? How are we doing? My voice turned into that of an old witch in the woods. <laughs> I am pleased to report. Hey, here is a report that I am pleased to deliver. Ah, Benny and his wife. Oh, you know how much I love Benny and his wife. They are going to be taking advantage of the stage left studio. They are going to be utilizing that space for the purposes of recording demo tracks. They are a duo, a musical duo. I asked if they have a name. <laughs> Did I say musical duo strangely just a moment ago? Keep all of this in. I asked if they have a name. They said they do not have a name for their duo act, but they are so Oh, they swore they are going to keep me abreast of the situation, okay? I am so excited. Ooh, I love it. Okay, so that was the report that I am very pleased to provide to you. Oh, no, I'm not done yet. Here's what I want to talk about, Benny. Yes, I'm pointing at you. We, I don't think we talked about Benny's musical past. I don't think we have. He has told me all about that past. He's been a part of several bands throughout his years, but the fa my favorite is the one that he formed in high school with two of his friends, and they were known as, I don't know if I can really give this the, the proper setup that it deserves, but this name is gonna, it's gonna knock your goddamn socks off. These three high school teenage boys were known as the Blood Boys O positive. That's the Blood Boys, and then in parentheses, O positive. That was the name of the band, and they were, you guys were, correct me if I'm wrong, just straight up heavy metal, like crunchy, gnarly stuff, right? I, <laughs> obviously, I know so much about music, the way that I'm sure I'm describing this in a way that seems totally fair to you, and I am told I really want to listen to the music that they produced. They, they have music on record, but all of that music, apparently, according to Benny, exists on a single hard drive, which is in his hometown childhood 
home, okay? He does not currently have access to that. I am very upset about that because I want to hear the music of The Blood Boys. Oh, positive. I, I would very much rather listen to that than the score for today's subject, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. I suppose we should move into The Show Facts. Thank you, Benny, for allowing me to share this information about you and your wife's duo and your musical past with The Blood Boys. Oh, positive. It's time for The Show Facts. Show me The Show Facts. Yeah, Let's do it. Okay. Stop the World, I Want to Get Off first premiered in Manchester before making its West End debut at the Queen's Theatre in 1961. The production, which ran for 485 performances, not too shabby, caught the attention of producer David Merrick, who was always in the market for a low-cost, read-cheap show. What's that? How cheap? Broadway, here we come! David Merrick, I do not believe he's English, but for the purposes of... I thought it would be fun to apply an accent to... To my notes. What's that? How cheap? Broadway, here we come. So Stop the World, I Want to Get Off ultimately became a 1963 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on Broadway on October 3rd, 1962 at the Schubert Theater before eventually moving to the Ambassador Theater in September 1963. And the show ran for a total of 555 performances. Not to shabby book, music, and lyrics were all written by Leslie Bercuse and Anthony Newley. Leslie Bercuse, I'm sure you would know as the writer of Scrooge, the musical, but as a duo, they would go on to write the Oscar-nominated score for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, huh? Trivia! The director of Stop the World's Broadway production was Anthony Newley. Hello again, Anthony. The musical director, Milton Rosenstock. Orchestrations, Ian Fraser, David Linda. Bert Rhodes and Gordon Langford. Choreographer, well, this is interesting. We have John Broom listed as the choreographer, but we have a restaged by credit that goes to Virginia Mason. Virginia Mason restaged the show. Drama, I sense drama. Scenic design, Sean Kenny. Lighting design, Sean Kenny. Hello again. Sound design, N.A. Costume design, strangely, N.A. There was no costume design credit on the IBDB page for Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. But we do have a Broadway cast breakdown for you, of course. We have Jennifer Baker, Susan Baker, Anna Quayle, Raleigh Bates, Bonnie Brody, Diana Corto, Mark Hunter, Joanne Leeds, Anthony Newley. Yes, that's right. He's in the show. He wrote it. He directed it. He's the star. But we also have Karen Lynn Reed, Paul. Paul Rufo, Sylvia Tysig, and Stephanie Winters. Tony Nods, you know we gotta talk about Tony Nods. The show won the Tony Award for Best Featured Actress in a Musical, which went to Anna Quayle, and additional nominations for the show include, well, th these are all of them. Best Musical, of course, but also Best Author of a Musical, Leslie Bercuse and Anthony Newley, Best Composer and Lyricist, Leslie Bercuse and Anthony Newley, and Best Actor in a Musical, Anthony Newley. I'm gonna say that name so many times throughout this episode. But uh, if you're doing the math at home, that's five nominations. Only one award when all was said and done. 
Let's talk about the plot. Oh, 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 just like a Christmas story, the musical. Oh, bobo, I'm gonna burn through this plot summary. I have bullet points. There's no real need for me to give you an essay, a really rich, textured analysis of the plot. We can get through this pretty easily. So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take it easy. Take it sleazy with this plot summary. The show begins by welcoming us to the circus. Oh! Welcome to the circus, or, you know, something circus-adjacent, circus-ish, circus-esque. That's the world in which we live for the purposes of this show. Our hero is known as Little Chap. Little Chap is born at the beginning of the show. He is a baby. He is born into this world, and then he grows up. He goes to school, as children do. And then upon graduation from high school, I assume, Little Chap finds work as a T-boy in a factory. Now, what in God's name is a T-boy? I assume this is an English profession that is very embedded in the English culture. You know, a T-boy. You're at the factory. People need tea. You walk around with the tea. You give out the tea is what I... <laughs> and honey, sister, that is the tea. Little chap, now 25, uh, he, he catches the eye of a woman named Evie who is at the factory. Oh, Evie, she's a 17-year-old virgin. Little chap is 25, Evie is 17, He's really into her, and as it turns out, oh, she's the boss's daughter. He only finds that out after the young lovers are forced into marriage. Oh, no. Well, here, I'm not getting this right. I'm not doing this right. First, he has sex with Evie. Then she gets pregnant. Then they find out, he finds out, that she is the boss's daughter, and the boss says, you better marry my daughter. And so they do. They get married. It's, uh, it's basically a shotgun wedding situation. Little chap is promoted at the factory as a result of this marriage. His father-in-law says, oh, you're my son-in-law now, so I might as well give you a promotion. Evie ultimately gives birth to two daughters, Susan and then Jane. Little chap is morose. He's not happy about this. He's really not. He does not want daughters. Hello, Evie. Stupid, stupid, stupid. I don't want daughters. I want a son. A son. So I can know that my legacy goes on. Someone I can know. Give my name to. Oh boy, you know, all of that bullshit. Little chap has a series of extramarital affairs while traveling on business because he's unhappy. He's unhappy because he doesn't have a son. He has sex with Anya, the pragmatic Russian official. Ilsa, the German housekeeper who is also a Nazi, will unpack that. And finally, Jenny, the ditzy American cabaret singer who kind of sounds like this. The actress who plays Evie also plays Anya, Ilsa, and Jenny. So uh, just keep that in mind. If I may put on my conical director's cap, I would just say, hey, here's an idea. The show incorporates an ensemble of women. Why not allow some of the women from that ensemble to play these characters? Okay, spread the love, maybe. Spread it. Spread it. Oh, if I may put on a producer's cap, <laughs> hey, if I was the producer, I would say, hey, let's not produce this show. That's my advice to producers. Don't. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't produce the show. 
Back to the plot. Evie and Little Chap's marriage becomes terribly acrimonious as the years go on. Little Chap ascends the corporate ladder and is eventually elected to public office. Ah, vote for Little Chap. Hear, hear. After 35 years of marriage, Little Chap manages to apologize to Evie while admitting the only person he ever really loved was himself. Ah, lo siento, Evie. Evie dies. She becomes an old lady and she dies. And a sullen little chap sits down to write his memoirs. I suppose I should write my memoirs now. Little chap's second daughter, Jane, you remember her. Oh, she gives birth, is what she does, to a son. Oh, a son, a son, someone who can carry on my name. Even though it's not your son, little chap, it's her son. Oh, oh, oh no, but what's this? The baby boy is dying. Oh, no, oh, Jane has just given birth, but the baby might die. Ha! Huh? Little chap begs death to take him instead. Take me instead. Oh, come on, love. Take me instead. Spare the baby. And death grants his wish. He takes little chap. Ah, you're dead now. But what's this? <laughs> what is this? Little chap is reborn in the form of his own grandson. Or something. I don't know. It's the early 60s. What do you want from me? If this all sounds like a worse version of Pippin, it's because uh, it is a worse version of Pippin. I, I never watch Pippin and think, man, you know what I'd really love to do? I would really love to push Pippin into a pile of trash. I never think that. Oh, here's something I should have mentioned earlier. The show is called Stop the World, I Want to Get Off, because Little Chap often shouts, Stop the world! Whenever bad things happen to him, things like having two daughters instead of a son, Little Chap takes these moments to address the audience directly. Say, did you ever notice that feeling when? Oh, I'm an asshole. Welcome. Hello, hello, hello. Oy, oy, oy. For the purposes of this week's episode, well, there were a couple of sources that I was interested in, uh, you know, investigating, but they were unavailable to me, so here are the unavailable sources for this week's episode. A digital version of the 1961 original London cast album is, it is available via Amazon.uk, but that doesn't help me now, does it? No, it doesn't. A made-for-TV film starring Peter Scolari and Stephanie Zimbalist aired on A&E in March of 1996. But from what I can tell, that has since become a piece of lost media. Anthony Newley directed and starred in a 1989 London revival of Stop the World that was poorly received and only ran for 52 performances. During a closing night speech, Newley reportedly told the audience how bitter he felt about the experience. Sounds like fun. This probably goes without saying, but that 1989 London revival was not recorded, so I did not listen to the album that doesn't exist. So what did I engage with? What did I investigate? Well, I listened to the 1962 original Broadway cast album, and then I watched the 1966 motion picture adaptation of the show, which stars Tony Tanner and Millicent Martin. Apparently, Anthony Newley was not available to star in the movie, and you know that drove him fucking nuts. You know that he wanted to be in that movie. You know that he probably wanted to direct the movie, too. But, alas, we were, we were spared another Anthony Newley victory lap. I have seen a lot of junk in my time, but Stop the World, the movie, is a cinematic morass. 
If they show movies in hell, Stop the World is in a theater reserved just for me. Tanner's Little Chap, his performance as Little Chap, man oh man. That, oh, that rendition of the character is a sneering, sneaking, conniving, crusty, shit-heel no one could love. Every close-up is a poisonous grotesquerie that hardens the blood. Oh, I hated looking at him. I hated looking at this clown. On stage, Evie and Little Chap, as a reminder, are identified as being 17 and 25 years old, respectively. In the movie, Evie is aged up to 19, while Little Chap remains 25. Stop the world! I don't know if that's much of an improvement! Watching the cast make machines. They make machines if you've ever done any improv. We are making machines. I'm making a motion. Now, you add on to that motion by creating your own motion. We are making a machine. Oh, the machine is so big now. I'm going boop, boop. You're going rah, rah. I'm moving my arms like this. You're squatting. Rah, rah. It stinks. Nobody likes watching anyone make machines. And the cast, <laughs> they make machines on this smear stain of a studio set. And watching it is depressing. I made machines for nearly four years of college. Never again. Thank you very much. There is a joke... <laughs> in the movie, and this is from the show as well, but at one point, oh, this is okay. So typically English, that's the song you would have heard right at the top of this episode. That's a song sung by Evie. She's talking about, oh, how her upbringing was so typically English, and we're supposed to juxtapose her high-class English upbringing with Little Chap's more working-class upbringing, and she's talking about where she grew up, and Little Chap says, he says, somewhere near Swindon. Maybe I should repeat myself. He says, quote, somewhere near Swindon, quote. These jokes played well in New York City, did they? They transferred, they jumped over the pond, and Broadway audiences were going, ha ha ha, Swindon, I know what that is. No, you don't. You don't know why that's funny. I don't think it is funny. Jesus Christ. The editing and direction of this film are totally artless. The film is riddled with inexplicable blackouts, as if someone is intermittently bludgeoning the film with a bottle. My God, it's disorienting. Raising a glass, oh, I raise a glass in honor of the actress who keeps looking off camera for some kind of signal before launching into her dialogue. Hey, no one thought to remove that cosmic pause and action. Eyes dart to the left, eyes dart to the left. And I begin my dialogue. No, 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 no. Cut. Just cut. What are we doing? This is ridiculous. The movie replaces Ilsa, the Nazi housekeeper, as you may recall, with a brand new character. Oh, who's that coming around the corner? It's Ara, the Japanese housekeeper. Oh, not a Nazi housekeeper, a Japanese housekeeper. Stop the world. I don't think that's an improvement. The whole bit about the dying grandson, you, you know that from the plot summary. Take me instead, death. Oh, please. All of that is removed. They get rid of all of that, and they replace it with absolutely nothing, leaving the story with zero emotional payoff. It truly seems as if they shot that footage and simply chose to get rid of it, because the setup is there, the setup remains, we just never follow through on the setup. Evie dies, Jane gives birth to her son off stage, off camera, and little chap pouts his way through a big finale. Boo! Hiss! That's not in any 
ending. The ending was barely an ending. This movie doesn't have an ending. Ah, moving on. I listened to the 1978 Broadway revival cast album, which features performances from Sammy Davis Jr. and Marion Mercer. Marion Mercer should not be confused for Millicent Martin from Stop the World, the movie. Marion Mercer is not Millicent Martin. Millicent Martin is not Marion Mercer. Sammy Davis Jr. and his production team went out of their way to ensure this version of Stop the World would appeal to a younger, you know, more hep crowd. The modest circus motif was abandoned in favor of a funkier and far more elaborate scenic design inspired by the modern art scene. An example, Little Chap's father-in-law appears in the form of a gargantuan, cigar-wielding, papier-mâché hand. Along with these aesthetic changes, Davis revised the show's commentary, so it focused less on class and more on race. An example, Little Chap's working man preference for fish and chips is swapped out for a salute to black-eyed peas and fried chicken and pig's feet. Other changes were made, of course, and they will be addressed soon enough, but they're all about as subtle and revealing as this one example. The show's English nature is seemingly inescapable. There's a moment on the album, this album, when Sammy Davis Jr. refuses to rhyme father with rather. It should be pronounced as rather. Father, rather, that's a British way of rhyming the two words, right? But he says father and rather. He refuses to do it in the style of a lower-class Brit, and the resulting dissonance is a distraction. Make a change or do it right, Sammy. Bercuse and Newley wrote it that way for a reason. Ara, the Japanese housekeeper, hello again, was dismissed to allow for the return of Ilsa the Nazi. Bye-bye, Ara. Welcome back, Ilsa the Nazi. Jenny, the American cabaret singer, now identifies in this revival as a Polish-Italian Jew. To wit, Little Chap sleeps with a Jewish woman and a Nazi, and they're played by the same actress. What am I supposed to do with this information? Well, remember, Sammy Davis Jr. was Jewish, Jonathan. I mean, yes, I, I'm aware of that. That doesn't answer my question. He was also a Republican, okay? That doesn't help me. Though the revival was originally intended as a limited engagement, everyone involved held out hope for an extended run. I mean, it did star Sammy Davis Jr. after all, but alas, the doors were closed after 30 performances. Bye-bye. I also, well, I tried to sit down and watch the 1979 film Sammy Stops the World. Here's some context for you. When the Broadway revival closed, Sammy Davis Jr. took the show to Long Beach, California, where it was recorded at the Terrace Theater and subsequently released as a film. I have no idea how much money the film made, but all I do know this, it is available in full via YouTube, okay? Chris and I struggled through about 10 minutes of Sammy Stops the World before I opted to throw in the towel. I have no idea what is going on with this thing. The movie begins in the middle of the first act with Little Chap pursuing Evie and no clue as to what's going on or how we got here. They keep cross-cutting between music numbers and book scenes that take place at completely different points in the show. It's a mess. Stop the world. I don't want to watch this movie. I then watched, no, I listened to, this was my final, 
my final source. I listened to the 1995 London Studio Cast album, which stars Mike Holloway and Louise Gold. I'm fairly certain this album was the first to present the score in its entirety, to preserve the score in its entirety, but considering how interminable that score is, I can't say I would recommend engaging with it. No, 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 no. It is now time to discuss... Oh, unfortunately, it is now time to discuss the score for Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. Let's begin with the overture.
departure is, without a doubt, the high point of Stop the World. Bright and beaming it, practically vibrating with ecstatic energy, I really like the overture. If I did not know any better, I would think Bercuse and Newley were setting me up for a gay old time at the theater, but... I know better. I know what's waiting for me around the corner when this overture comes to an end. And it's called the ABC Song. I will not play the ABC Song for you because that would be wrong. Imagine a bunch of adults pretending to be children. Imagine the sound of adults pretending to be children in the hammiest manner possible, squeaking and screeching their way through every rotten letter of the alphabet. Allow your imagination to act as a bulwark against reality and all of its horrors. Blah. The ABC song. Blah. Take a look at me. A quick butcher's hook at me. Now, a minute ago, I didn't know a cockle from a whelk. Can you imagine it? I mean, just imagine it. Fancy not knowing a cockle from a whelk. Ooh, what a nit I was. Yes, I'll admit I was. Like a sloppy, floppy puppy with a ball. And then, without reason or rhyme, I was chatting this bird at the time, I heard a sort of voice within me call. I want to be rich and have a big house. Big deal. With hundreds of acres and pheasants and grouse. An American car as long as the street. And the local birds will be lost for words. It'll knock them off their feet. Oh! Women drivers. I want to be famous and be in the news. Go out with a film star whenever I choose. Uh, give me half a chance to lead a dance with some rich bitch and I'll be dirty rotten. Right? We'll be singing. He wants to be rich. Here, with money to burn. Hang on. A thousand a week, say. What do I my turn? He keep it in one, says. It with the knobs and sit in the best seats with all of the snobs. I may go to Ascot to take in the scene. In me grey top at me spats and that I'd be company for the Queen. I want to go travelling to Cannes and Capri. The French Riviera is my cup of tea. Give me half a chance in the south of France to make my pitch. And I'll be dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking. I can hear the lolly jinking. Lots of birds, lots of drinking. I can guess what you're all thinking. Dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking. If you can believe it, I Want to Be Rich is supposed to be Little Chap's sales pitch to Evie. The man is doing everything he can to impress her, and this is the result of his efforts. You know what I want to do, Evie? I want to be rich. Oh, oh, I figured it out. I want to own a big car and fuck every woman on the planet. Does that impress you, Evie? My borderline Neolithic desire to fuck every woman on this here planet? Come on, love. Give old little chap a go. Give on, let me give you a poke. I suppose we can't accuse little chap of false advertising. 
Little chap is a horny asshole who has every intention of cheating on Evie. He says so from the very beginning. What do you think Evie admired most about Little Chap's musical soliloquy? His casual dismissal of monogamy or the fact that he pulls the word bitch out of thin air? This is the opening number. This is the hero of our story. Oh, Little Chap may have had his warts, but Anthony Newley made him a lovable cuss, he did. The world had Little Chap fever, it did. Did he? Did it? Stop the world! I don't buy it! The word bitch appears on all of the cast albums I listened to this week. We were so eager to update this moldy clown show of a musical, make it relatable, make it relevant, but that word managed to survive every round of edits. Pretty miraculous. Pretty despicable. I'm a glorious Russian comrade born on glorious Russian soil. I was part of my glorious parents' five-year plan. I eat glorious Russian salad that's imported from the West and drink glorious Russian vodka when I can. I, I've got 14 glorious brothers down a glorious Russian mine. I've got 15 glorious sisters and a cat. And a lot of us live together in such glorious Russian bliss in a glorious Soviet Russian two-room flat. Hey! Father is a glorious Russian dust man. Mother drives a glorious Russian tram. Grandma drives a lorry, though she's in the hind and Grandpa does not give a Russian damn. We've got glorious Russian heroes up in glorious Russian space, and the glorious Russian news is one day soon. We'll live happily ever after on a vast collective farm, somewhere on the glorious Soviet Russian moon. It would appear I've unwittingly established a pattern for myself. I enjoyed the Russian caricature from Pacific Overtures, and I enjoyed Anya, the Russian caricature from Stop the World. Glorious Russian is a bombastic and thoroughly amusing introduction to the character, a series of increasingly histrionic proclamations that capture the attention as light is captured by a black hole. Anna Quayle did the thing. She deserved that Tony Award, I do say. I'm so glad that she got it and Anthony Newley didn't. I'm s you know he was pissed off about that. He was so pissed. I'm a glorious Russian comrade born on glorious Russian soil. I was part of my glorious parents' five-year plan. I eat glorious Russian salad that's imported from the West and drink glorious Russian vodka when I can. I've got 14 glorious brothers down a glorious Russian mine. I've got 15 glorious sisters and a cat. Director's cap, uh, I would... Uh, I do think you should make sure to really punch the word cat. That's a great punchline. It, it very much made me, ooh, it tickled me is what it did. So just do me a favor. If you do find yourself in a production of Stop the World, which who, who does that? Who? No one's producing this show, right? No one does this show, so don't worry about it. But if you ever use this song for audition material, I suppose, just do me a favor. Punch that word, cat. Make it big, okay? Make it big. Patty, Benny, if you could please cue up Sammy Davis Jr.'s rendition of the song Gonna Build a Mountain. Oh, that would be very much appreciated. Thank you. I love you very much. Oh, 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 oh. Mountain. Mountain. 
I'm gonna beg yeah, 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 yeah. I'm out. With a fine young son Who can take my place I'll leave a son I do not give a shit about this number, which sees Little Chap becoming always so determined. He becomes determined to whip his subordinates at the factory into fighting shape. I don't care about that. I couldn't. I can't. I won't. But you have to hand it to Davis. He's throwing himself headlong into this sucker, and those pipes of his pack a wallop. The pipes pack a wallop. Deutsche music played by Tibisha Deutsche bands as we dance beneath that Tibisha Deutsche moon. Though I love the songs of Schubert and the melodies of Brahms, Deutschland over Alice is my favorite tune. Deutsche Doktor But he was a general in the war He still keeps his uniform in the cupboard Just in case he should see the day he's fighting for We are
Paging Harlan Crow. Mr. Crow, paging Harlan Crow. There's someone at the door for you. Ring, ring. Someone's on the phone. They want to talk to you. Uh-oh. If anyone has a not-so-secret cachet of Nazi memorabilia strewn about their home, it is most definitely Hilsa, the busty broadwurst of a babe who manages to goose-step her way into little chap's heart. Hilsa and her father know which side of their bread is buttered, if you know what I mean. Say, hey, here's a question. Who thought this was ever going to be funny, if you don't mind my asking? The show premiered on the West End in 1961. World War II had ended less than 20 years prior. Oh, I see. So you can laugh at the Russian who sings about vodka, but you can't laugh at the German who sings about the master race while high-fiving Hitler? Shame on you, Jonathan. The hypocrisy. The rank hypocrisy. After all, these are nothing more than silly fictional characters. Did you forget that somewhere along the way? Wake up and smell the suspension of disbelief, musical man. Here's what I say to that. Mel Brooks is the only person who managed to make Nazi comedy palatable, and he didn't do it by making the Nazis fuckable. He did it by humiliating the Nazis by turning Hitler into one of the many, many things he hated, a simpering gay man. Now, is that problematic in and of itself? I don't know, sure, but as a simpering gay man, hello, I allow it. This, right here, I do not allow this. But little chap is a fool. We can't expect him to make good decisions. The dude is a literal clown. Yeah, I, I know, I, I know that. Little chap can be a fool without having sex with a fucking Nazi. Happy birthday, dear Adolf. Wherever you are, eat shit. Truly, fuck off. Life is a Woman appears on the 1978 revival album as a replacement for the show's typical Act 1 finale, a heinous and delirious sequence known as Family Fugue. We won't be hearing any of Family Fugue today. You can thank me for that later, but I would like to sample Life is a Woman if you please, Patty, Benny, thank you. I love you very much. Like mother, like daughter. Life, life is a woman, an endless surprise. Always opening up your heart and closing your eyes. Showering you with sunshine, love and pain Just like a woman, life changes each day Holds you closely to her heart, then throws you away What can you say? It's one more game we have to play And like a woman Life can save your soul with a kiss One gentle kiss And all the anger, all the fear All the pain 
life Being a woman Will never give in Takes a special kind of fool To think he can win Who wants to win Woman may not align with Stop the World's otherwise dopey vibe. It was obviously written to take advantage of Sammy's lounge lizard persona, but I appreciate the change of pace. Sammy in a spotlight, crooning the lonely moments away? I ain't gonna complain about that. I ain't gonna do that. The song does not make me care about Little Chap. <laughs> it, it, it fails in that regard. I don't believe any song ever could. But God save him for trying. God save ya. I'm an all-American female from an all-American town. I'm from all-American Main Street, USA. I eat all-American popcorn. I chew all-American gum. Which is why I talk this all-American way. I watch all-American movies, happy all-American night, on my all-American television screen. And like all-American females, I've an all-American dream to become an all-American movie queen. My all-American papa comes from Poland. He came here from Warsaw with my mom. She lives all alone because my papa is an 18 carat all-American bum. I get all-American goosebumps when I hear the stars and stripes. I'm an all-American niece of Uncle Sam. And I think that Mr. Eisenhower is absolutely swell. Oh, really? When? I think that Mr. Kennedy is absolutely swell. What a lucky all-American girl I am. <laughs> I consider myself very fortunate to be a citizen of the United States of America. And what is more, Ho, ho. 
Of all the walking, talking, paper dolls little chap encounters throughout his adventures, Jenny is by far the most likable. She sings All-American at a dive called the Chocolate Box. She likes to eat popcorn and chew gum. I bet she would be a fabulous first-rate chum. Adelaide from Guys and Dolls could show her a thing or two, I bet. I want to see that show. Jenny's only real flaw is her attraction to Little Chap, but that's a flaw shared by most of the women in this dystopic universe. Everyone wants to go to bed with a Little Chap, the bleeding English puke beast who's always doing object work in the corner. Oh, love, did you see him lift that invisible pot of tea? Ye gods, I bet that guy fucks. I bet that guy fucks like the mayor of Fucktown on fucking election night. Tickety-boo-bob, yak-yak-yak. Mumbo-jum, red, white, and blue-bob. Poor Britannia's on her back. Mumbo-jumbo, rhubarb, rhubarb. Nothing new, bob. Cha-cha-cha. Mumbo-jumbo, Castro's cubarb. I think someone's gone too far. Mumbo-jumbo, rhubarb, rhubarb. Voulez-vous, bob, avec moi. Mumbo-jumbo, entre nous, bob. Brigitte Bardot, ooh-la-la. Mumbo Jumbo. Okay, let's talk about Mumbo Jumbo. It contains uh, the sort of bone-shattering insights one can expect from two white guys who really have nothing to lose in the grand game of politics. Ooh, these fat cats with all of their buzzwords and hollow rhetoric. They don't care about anyone or anything. I dare say they're filled with stuff and nonsense and helium hullabaloo. Yes, yes, we'll go for the throat stuff, Bricuse. Ah, splendid work, Bricuse. Good show, Anthony. The 1978 version of Mumbo Jumbo sees Little Chap, here played by Sammy Davis Jr., appearing before a series of activist groups. Uh, that's very much the setup for the original production, but they change things up so we can focus on race. So these groups that he appears before are, in reverse order, the Hadassah and Friends of Temple Beth Meyerson, a Latino organization, the Spanish language name of which escaped me, a group known as the Black Friday Zimbabwe Terrorist Arson Anarchy and Child Daycare Center, and <laughs> the White Supremacy Marching Band. If I may go back for a second, I had a very hard time figuring out what the full name of that Black Friday group was, but I'm pretty sure it is Black Friday Zimbabwe. I don't know what they're doing with the Zimbabwe. I think they're combining two things, but man alive, goodness gracious, Little Chap provides silver-tongued assurances to all of these groups before making it clear that none of them will matter once he has their votes 
and is elected. Fuck everyone, basically, because, again, these politicians, am I right, that feeling when? But the show holds politicians and their constituents in equal contempt. None of the voters bother to get little chap's name right. They're nothing more than opportunistic phonies and idiots. Super healthy messaging all around. Everyone is crazy. We're all stupid. Black Panthers and white supremacists alike. We're all insane. No one should be fighting for anything ever. It's annoying and dumb. Ugh. You ask why should someone nice like me have to fall in love with you? And you mention all the men I could have loved, the men I should have loved, who would have loved me. Maybe Mr. Freud could tell you why I love you till I die the way I do. But who wants Freud's advice? I'm sure it works with mice. But not with someone nice like you. And if we could live twice, I'd make life paradise for someone really nice. Like you. Remember when I was 25 and you were 17 and I pursued you relentlessly? Remember how I got you pregnant and your father forced us to marry and I spent the next 35 years of our lives punishing you for that? And how you gave birth to two beautiful baby girls and I proceeded to ignore all of you so I could run off and fuck a Nazi? My, my, 35 years, Avi. Where does the time go? Anyway, you're dead now, so I suppose it doesn't matter much, does it? Cheerio, darling! Now, to be fair, Bercuse and Newly do make room for Evie's perspective. Her voice, not a lot of room, to be sure, but some, some room. She loathes Little Chap as much as he detests her, yet they remain together for decades, and in the final moments of her life, Evie smiles upon Little Chap and professes her love for him. That's what someone like you is all about. I love you, little chap. Why do I love you? Oh, I suppose we could ask Mr. Freud, but what would he know about it? He works with mice. Anyway, love you, mate. Close the coffin on your way out, will you, dearie? You're letting in a draft. The show has no idea why Evie loves little chap. It has no answers for us. Our questions fall on spiteful ears. I hate it. Oh, I hate that whole convention of, I'm old now, and I want forgiveness. I hate it when shitty people get older and decide to sop up their messes in a last-minute bid for salvation. Oh, and some would say, Ah, oh, Jonathan, they are old. They are dying. We should forgive them. No. I've been arguing a lot with myself throughout this episode. I like it. Oh, did you ever consider X, Y, and Z? I did. Shut up. What kind of lips are these? That lied with every kiss That whispered empty words of love That left me alone like this What kind of eyes are these That could
could not see what could be seen by everybody else but me. What kind of clown am I? What do I know of life? Why can't I cast away this mask of life and live my life? Why can't I fall in love till I don't give a damn? And maybe then I Anthony Newley, I will say this, my final word on Anthony Newley is as such. He is an undeniably strong vocalist. He is. He definitely maneuvers his way through numbers that demand precise articulation and a fairly expansive vocal range. Numbers he co-wrote, I will reiterate, Stop the World is a Challenge engineered by Newley for Newley, and on a technical level, he wins the day. Listen to the song, What Kind of Fool Am I?, again, as you just did, and tell me I'm wrong. The man is a born performer, but who could ever, ever care about this character? Revivals of Stop the World allowed critics to expose Little Chap for what he had always been, one of the worst, most chauvinistic protagonists in the musical theater canon, and I'm glad these critics were unafraid to say as much. I cannot account for the taste of audiences in the early 1960s, but at some point we moved well beyond Little Chap and his sordid antics, and we were better off for it. Little Chap never grows up, but we did, Little Chap. That's all I have to say regarding the score for Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. It is now time to hear from our fine, fine sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Father, you're in a drunken stupor again, Father. Well, I'll take care of you. It's all right. Would you like to listen to this music box? My real father gave it to me. My real uncle father, Daddy Phantom. Daddy Uncle Phantom gave me this music box because he said, I'm a very good boy and I take care of all the ghouls and goblins and freaks down at the sideshow very well. Did you know that they all sleep in geode crystal chambers? And I feed them their fish pellets and they love me, Father. Are you proud of me, fake father? Not really my father. Ooh, ooh, I know. How about I go put us together a couple of Lunchables? There are two Lunchables in the icebox. We'll have our little crackers and our cold, clammy circles of meat and the cheese, Father, the cheese! Oh, and the five, six, seven, eight coffee will go so well. Oh, charcuterie! It'll be like our own little charcuterie party. Not really, Father, fake Father. Oh, goodness gracious. Then I'll take you down to Coney Island and we can feed the freak.
freaks together. Oh, not really, Father. It's like we're in a delightful storybook it is. I feel so very lucky to have two fathers. One who is not really my father and is a fake father, and the other one who's more like an Uncle Crazy Daddy Phantom Daddy Father Dante. Daddy Dandy Father. Yes. <laughs> Here, I'll put the music box next to you while I prepare the Lunchables. As you can see, it's a figurine in a guillotine. He's having his head chopped off. Uncle Daddy Father Phantom says that it looks a lot like you. Do you think it looks a lot like you? When I close my eyes, I see delicious sticky red nightmares. Alright, see you soon, fake daddy father. I'm going to go get on the Lunchables. I'm going to get on them. I'm going to get on top of them. And I'm going to bring them to you. I love you, daddy, not really. I love you, not really, daddy phantom. Not really. Daddy's my real phantom. Phantom's my real daddy. You can count on me, father, not really. I'll get the Lunchables for you. Not really. Bye, father. See you soon, not really. Final thoughts regarding Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. Sure, here's a final thought. The New York City Center has never produced a revival of Stop the World as part of their Encores concert series, and I pray, I pray they never do. No, no, no. Brian Stokes Mitchell or somebody or whoever. No, don't make Brian Stokes Mitchell do that. Don't make him play Little Chap. I don't want to see it. No one wants to see it. As a reminder, in 1963, the winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical was a show called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, and the additional nominees that season were Little Me and Oliver. We've talked about those shows. Weird set of nominees, right? I have no idea what I've said in the past, but at this moment I am allowing Mr. Stephen Sondheim to keep his Best Musical medallion. We're not giving it to Stop the World, I know that much. I can't believe I'm saying it again, but we only have one remaining nominee from this set that we haven't talked about. We haven't talked about the winner. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum, but we will at some point. For now, it is time to rank Stop the World I Want to Get Off against all of the other shows we've talked about on the podcast. How do you, how do you see, how do you check this out? The ranking, I mean. How, where do you find that information? How, where, how? Well, go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod. You can find our link tree there. Ah, access our spreadsheet via the link tree, the second tab of that spreadsheet provides all of that ranking info. So let me just scroll, scroll, keep scrolling, Jonathan, keep scrolling. Where is Stop the World on this ranking? Ah, here it is. Oh, it's so close to the bottom. So very close. I'm putting you at number 132 between Starlight Express, which is at number 131, and Starmites, which is at number 133. <laughs> we have Starlight Express, Stop the World, Starmites, and Swingin' on a Star. They're all neighbors. They all live on a suburban block from hell. My god. Okay, I was reading about Chaplin. This is the show-related ephemera segment, in case you didn't know. I was reading about Chaplin, another Anthony Newley vehicle, that was set to open on Broadway in November of 19. 1983 before it closed prematurely. The show had lost $4 million while on the road. Here is a quote from the New York Times. They covered the whole debacle. Here is a quote. Every night, writers Stanley Ralph Ross and Anthony Newley performed an artistic post-mortem on the show. What worked, what didn't, in the Hungry Tiger restaurant attached to the theater. Changes were then rehearsed and added to the show. 
The 44 scenes of the plot were put into chronological order. A duet between Mr. Newley and Andrea Markovici, who played Chaplin's fourth wife, Una O'Neill, replaced a production number critics had mocked. The scene in which a grave robber steals Chaplin's corpse was discarded. Quote, unquote. Once more, the scene in which a grave robber steals Chaplin's corpse was discarded. What are you talking about? A new segment available via YouTube shows Chaplin in rehearsals for its L.A. premiere. During the piece, Newley, as Chaplin, sings, I fall in love with all of them, then marry little girls. Chaplin had a thing for underage girls, you see. As the reporter points out, Newley had not appeared on stage in over 17 years. And if I may point this out, Newley returned to the stage so he could play another lecherous creep. Little chap, chaplain, chaplain, little chap, you can't spell chaplain without chap. I also watched a Tonight Show segment in which Newley sings Remember Me, the 11 o'clock number from Chaplin that finds Chaplin singing to the Statue of Liberty as if he were imitating Dean Martin. He sings in the style of Dean Martin. To describe this performance as dull would be too kind. Anthony Newley's Chaplin musical should not be confused with the Chaplin music musical that successfully opened on Broadway in 2012, before closing after 135 performances. Neither of those musicals should be confused with Little Tramp, which was staged in Waterford, Connecticut and St. Petersburg, Russia, or Chaplin, A Memory as Entertainment, which premiered in Miami, Florida. That's four separate distinct Chaplin musicals. Attention, future generations, we tried, we failed, no more Chaplin musicals, please, we're begging you. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, Manny Mischief, He's Got Moves. Everyone ready? Then away we go! subject of our main feed coverage is the 1991 winner of the Tony Award for Best Musical. It ran on Broadway for 981 performances. My God, not too shabby. And the name of that 1991 winner is The Will Rogers Follies. Woohoo! Lassos and cowboys and such. So you can look forward to that. That's coming to your main feed in two weeks' time. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Planned Parenthood Action Fund. We do not keep any of that money. It all goes to the Action Fund. You can donate $1, $3, or $10 a month. What does $1 a month get you? Well, it gets you Monday early access to all of these main feed episodes, a verbal shout-out each and every week. Thank you so much to those who donate at least $1 a month. Caroline, Helena, Greg, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sydney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marcus, Rob, Shauna, Shianti, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, and... Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. $1 a month patrons also get 
15 bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, The Little Mermaid Live, a full review of the film Cats, Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney+, Plus. Documentary Now, Original Cast Album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Harlow the Alligator Boy, the trailer for West Side Story 2021, Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back, Diana, Annie Live, The Notebook at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, and Beauty and the Beast, a 30th celebration. You also get We're Not Done, Season 1, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, a series for which I check in with myself via the non-musical theater songs that make me feel more like myself. And you get all 16 episodes in our M3, the Movie Musical Man series, for which we watch trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. $3 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You get all 10 episodes in Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, as well as a one-off all about Julie and the Phantoms. We have a brand new series that's been running for some time now at the $3 a month tier. That series is known as TV VIP. It is dedicated to musical television shows. And coming next week, our third episode of TV VIP, which is all about Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies. Oh, it's true. $5 a month gets you everything I've already described. Plus, you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. You get seasons one and two. That's 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, a series and advice show, I should say, hosted by our friend The Phantom of the Opera. You get all 14 episodes in our Broadway and Chicago review series and volumes one through five of Shout About It. This is a collection, a compendium, oh, if you will, of five, six, seven, eight coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 125 episodes of the show. And finally, last but certainly not least, is our $10 a month tier for which you get everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed, season one that's 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a series dedicated to Broadway musicals that were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and all 12 episodes in Turn It Off, a series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Pod Chaser, do us a favor, write a five-star review for this show. We'd love you for it. You can stream the show in a variety of ways. Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny in Chicago. Hello from Minneapolis. Thank you to Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and thank you to Zach Little for our fabulous intro and outro music. Ah, you know what that sound means. Oh, yes. Just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and good night.
hand of candy you want. Sweet chocolate, chocolate malt, candy, gumdrops, anything you want. You've come to the right man because I'm the candy man. Who can take a sunrise? Sprinkle it with you. Mixes it with love and makes the world